Welcome to the Open House Podcast. Conversations exploring life, faith and hope with Stephen O'Doherty. Urban overheating threatens the lives of people in some of Australia's cities. There are issues such as morbidity, so that's harm that is done by overheating, and then there's mortality, death caused by overheating. And researchers from the University of New South Wales Faculty of Built Environment have done a study on this problem uh, across Australia in particular spots, Darwin being one of those. Darwin is one of 400 cities around the world that suffers from dangerous overheating as a heat island, uh, which is the most documented phenomenon of climate change. For instance, in Darwin, the city centre can be up to six degrees warmer than the airport, particularly during the daytime. Now, why is that? Well, it's because a lot of the materials that things like roads and car parks and building roofs are made out of actually absorb and then re-radiate solar radiation, solar energy. They become heat sinks. Also, we've lost a lot of green space, of course. Professor Matt Santamuris led that project, and he says... Using mitigation technologies like light-coloured reflective materials can help. Adding ur- urban greenery can help. But taking things a step further, Professor Santamuris and his team compared Darwin to Western Sydney. I found that in, in Darwin it is possible to reduce the heat stress relatively easy, but in Western Sydney it's not. And what's needed then is a, way, a change in the way we design and construct buildings, including our homes. But our regulators, it seems, are slow to come to the party. Professor Santamuris, welcome to Open House. Thank you very much for your invitation. Well, what creates the urban heat island effect? Uh, in cities, we have a lot of uh, waste heat. Uh, we have heat coming from air conditioners, from cars, from industry, from uh, the very high density and uh, the type of the materials we are using that absorb a lot of solar radiation and then emit a lot of infrared radiation lack of greenery, lack of water, the air cannot penetrate and ventilate the cities. So cities present a much higher thermal balance and more positive thermal balance than the surrounding rural and uh, suburban areas. And this results in, uh, in, let's say, higher temperature in the centre of the city or in the dense areas compared, you know, to the surrounding. And it's not an insignificant amount? No, it's not, an, it's not at all insignificant. Uh, for example, there are cities which present almost 10 degrees higher temperature uh, than in the surrounding area. Almost 10 degrees? 10 degrees, yeah. yeah. We have many cities in Asia, for example, in, in India, in, um, let's say, in, uh, in China, but also, you know, in, in Sydney, uh, during, uh, let's say, the summer period, in the western part of the city, hmm. uh, the temperature may be 9 degrees higher than in the eastern part of the city. Is that the urban heat effect, or is it also the natural um, environment with heat sinks created by mountains and the weather patterns circulating around? Both. In Sydney, in Sydney, because of both. In Sydney, it is because, you know, of a combination of uh, the local climatic change, the urban heat island, and the global climatic change hmm. that really creates some synoptic meteorological conditions, which in association, in combination with the local climate, uh, give us this uh, very high temperature increase. Well, you've also you've studied Darwin and yes. uh, some really interesting findings. In fact, findings that go to the whole issue of the amount of uh, morbidity of the population during the heat. Yeah, but this is something that is very well known, heat-related uh, morbidity and mortality. 
It is a major problem, actually. Uh, there are thousands of uh, excellent researchers working on it. There are some, uh, let's say, very important uh, articles that have been published by some of the best scientists around the world that shows that actually, and in the future, heat-related mortality and morbidity will be the major issue. Uh, it is expected that the number of, uh, let's say, of heat-related mortality or the, the size of the heat-related mortality, at least in Europe, will increase by a factor of four or five in the next, let's say, 30 years. Wow. Uh, something, something similar also, it is predicted for, for Australia. If you compare heat-related mortality, for example, in Sydney in the 70s against, you know, the heat-related mortality in our days, you will see that it's almost the double. Or just to tell you something which is really very important, uh, according to the models, heat-related mortality in February 2017 in Penrith was about twice, two times more than the heat-related mortality in the eastern suburbs during exactly the same day. That makes some really important planning decisions um, necessary, you would think, as we as we plan our cities. You've, you've looked at Darwin, and um, what you've discovered there is very concerning for that city. So uh, what really we found is that once we have, uh, let's say, temperatures above 32 degrees and humidity above 75, 80, 80 degrees, uh, heat-related morbidity may increase up 250%. Oh. And uh, there are several explanations about it. But believe me, the same happens in most of the tropical cities, you know, once we have such sure. a combination. But um, I gather Darwin is one of 400 cities around the world that suffers from this dangerous level of overheating. And just to repeat what you said, if the temperatures go higher than 32 degrees with humidity more than 80%, the amount of the hospital admissions for heat-related uh, stress go up by something like 250-plus percent. 250. Correct. yeah. 250. So what about yeah, mortality then? Mortality is increasing by a factor of about 20-22%. We can put in more air conditioners, but of course they're going to contribute to the problem. Uh, if you were to start with trying to redesign our city uh, cityscapes, what would you do to reduce the temperature? And quite specifically in Darwin, where you've done some study, what would you do there to bring down the ambient temperature? Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, the solutions we have uh, are really completely different uh, depending on the nature and the characteristics of the problem. In Darwin, we don't have such a really important problem like we have in Sydney because the overheating is about 2 to 3 degrees, sometimes 4 degrees. So by using mitigation technologies, technologies that may decrease the temperature of the city, we may, let's say, avoid the problems of um, overconsumption of energy, excess uh, peak electricity demand, and also heat-related mortality and morbidity. These mitigation technologies have to do, first of all, with the use of, uh, let's say, more appropriate materials, just to understand um, Bitumen car parks in, in, in Darwin uh, during, let's say, a conventional and normal day may present a temperature, surface temperature close to 70 degrees, 70. 70? Uh, 70? <laughs> yes. In a car park in Darwin? <laughs> exactly. Well, Exactly. Uh, and, um, of course, this has a tremendous impact, you know, on uh, in, the ambient, in the ambient temperature, but has a, main, uh, a very important impact on thermal comfort. So by replacing these absorbing materials with new generation materials, advanced materials that have been developed during the last 10 years all around the world, the so-called cool materials that they have exactly the same mechanical characteristics 
but uh, do not absorb solar radiation the same way. We may decrease the surface temperature up to 20, 30 degrees, and uh, in the same time we may decrease, let's say, the ambient temperature by at least 1, 1.5 degrees. Mm-hmm. Then uh, once this is combined with, let's say, cool roofs, roofs that present, you know, higher reflectivity to the solar radiation, plus additional greenery, plus more water and evaporation in the city, plus shading and solar control in the city, just to mention some of the very conventional techniques, because recently we have developed, especially in the University of New South Wales, some technologies that are much more advanced. We may decrease the peak temperature of the city up to 2.5 degrees. Wow. We have already we have already more than 200 applica- large-scale applications all around the world where mitigation technologies have been applied and measured and monitored, and we know that really we can, for the time being, decrease the peak, the peak let's say, temperature up to 2.5 degrees. We yeah. expect that the new technologies will achieve, you know, a reduction close to 4 degrees. Well, our guest on Open House is Professor Matt Santamuris from University of New South Wales, from the uh, Faculty of Built Environment. You mentioned that Darwin was easier to treat than Sydney, where you've got a big heat sink uh, in the western suburbs around Penrith, you've mentioned in particular. What are the solutions for Penrith and other parts of western Sydney? Mm, this is a very interesting question. Uh, in, in, you know, the problem we have in western Sydney is not a, a problem uh, that has to reduce the, let's say, the peak ambient temperature by two or three degrees. Uh, this is something that we know how to do it, and this is the actual state-of-the-art of technology. Unfortunately, there we have to decrease temperature up to 5, 6, 7, or even more. Mm-hmm. And we don't have the technology to do that by using mitigation technologies. Perhaps in the near future, we will have something really close to 4 degrees. But still, this is not enough. So mitigation is not really... Uh, enough to, save, to, 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 to solve the problem of Western Sydney. We have to combine mitigation and adaptation. What I mean? I mean that, first of all, we have to decrease temperature there by using all these techniques, and this is possible. The study that we have performed for, let's say, Sydney water and also for infrastructure on New South Wales shows really that it is possible to decrease the peak, peak uh, temperature in Western Sydney up to 3 degrees. This is possible, but still... Uh, the energy consumption, for example, for cooling for exactly the same uh, building in Western Sydney, in, in let's say, in Paris, uh, against the same building in the eastern, let's say, suburbs, is almost a double. The population in Paris, they have to spend 100% more air conditioning, more cooling, you know, just to satisfy the basic demands than, let's say, someone living in exactly the same house in the eastern suburb. So we need to, to apply adaptation techniques. What is adaptation? Adaptation has to do with the quality of the building. Actually, uh, we are able to decrease the cooling demand of the building by increasing, let's say, the standards of the building using, let's say, better quality materials, double glazing, better shading, mm. uh, better ventilation, many, many things. Mm. And we are able to decrease the energy consumption without really increasing the cost uh, or increasing the cost up to, let's say, 10, 20%, something that is amortized in three, four years, uh, we may decrease the cooling demand up to 80% without using any sophisticated technologies. We are able really to decrease the energy demand of buildings up to zero. I just have to tell you that in most, let's say, 
developed countries, for example, Europe, United States, Japan, by 2020 or 2030, all new buildings or all retrofitting buildings have to be zero energy. Really? We are able to wow. decrease the, yeah, the, 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 the energy consumption of buildings down to zero uh, by using some, let's say, more sophisticated technologies. This is adaptation. Have we started to make those changes or have our policymakers been slow to come to uh, take action there? I think that this is, this is a must for Australia. Uh, we have to accept that the quality of buildings in Australia do not really uh, are not comparable with uh, the quality of standards or standards you know in, 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 in Europe or in Japan or in, in the states. Australia is a very developed country and in my opinion it deserves to have better houses and better buildings. Well, yes. So uh, I think that Australia needs really to upgrade the building standards up to the level you know of the very developed countries and offer to the Australian citizens good quality. Because it's not only that we are spending more energy, it's comfort. Although we may spend a lot of energy, you know, for heating or cooling, unfortunately we don't have enough comfort, because comfort, it is very much related to the temperature of the walls, of the glass, of the windows, of everything. Mm. And once we are living in non-insulated houses or buildings, whatever we spend for energy, Comfort is bad because the temperature of the walls is low and in this case irradiates cool, let's say, radiation to our body. Exactly the same happens, you know, during the summer period. So in conclusion, it is very important for Australia to improve the quality and the standards of the construction. Oh, yes, I take that. You know, at local councils, at urban planning departments, at the level of the state and federal governments, unless I'm very much mistaken... I don't think this is on the radar because, you know, they're still arguing about whether climate change is real or not. Yeah, you're, you're right. But during the last, you know, one or two years, many of the councils of Western Sydney, they have immediately understood the problem. Because don't forget, you know, that um, uh, last, uh, let's say, February, February 2018, temperature in Paris was 48.7. Yes. And um, according, you know, to the models we have and we run for 2050, local temperature may increase, or the peak temperature may increase up to 5 degrees. So unlivable. Unlivable. Terrible. Exactly. So, so given, you know, that there are plans for, let's say, further construction in the area, the Parkland City, the new airport, and things like that, yes. in this case, all these new constructions have to be, let's say, designed in a way really to be livable. I mean that uh, the outdoor environment should uh, really decrease temperature as much as possible. This is mitigation. But also buildings have to be so well, mm. let's say, designed in order to provide comfort and, uh, let's say, uh, have the necessary energy consumption at the lowest possible cost. Otherwise, we will have, let's say, tremendous energy consumption, like in Darwin, hmm. and allow me this parenthesis, in Darwin, for the energy consumption for cooling is the maximum energy consumption I've seen in my life and in my career. Really? i never seen, believe me, I have worked all around the world, yeah. never seen such a high energy consumption. This is really a pity for the local population to pay such a huge penalty hmm. because of the bad construction and the lack of standards. Wow. This is something that has not to be left to the market. This is something that the state...
state has to take the regulation, has to define the regulation, and the market has to follow. Wow. Well, we've definitely benefited from your experience, and I, I just want to thank you for alerting us to that, and thank you for being with us on Open House this week. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for your invitation. Professor Matt Santamuras from the University of New South Wales, and wow, what an indictment of our system so far. Discover more Open House podcasts at openhousecommunity.com.au.